Welcome to the Brighton Adventure Story Podcast. Chapter 2. The Cowboy. James pushed himself into a crouch, and then stood up shakily, one hand steadying himself against the next branch up. This was a bad idea, as he was now high enough above the bushes to see the main path beyond, and on that path the other boy, the thief, was standing waiting with both bikes for the lookout to return. He hadn't noticed James. Yet. Now that James was higher in the tree, there were more branches to climb with. He carefully stepped round to the far side, away from the path, ducking under one branch while stepping over another. The trunk was huge, much bigger than it had looked from the ground. It was easily wide enough to conceal James from the drop lifters down below. James stared up along the giant's trunk. It was a huge, rounded road pushing straight up into the sky. The grey bark was smooth and almost warm to touch. He had no idea what kind of tree it was, nor how tall it was. Fleeting patches of blue sky revealed themselves as a warm breeze tugged at the new spring leaves. About fifteen feet further up, a massive branch stuck out of the tree at a right angle and disappeared through a wall of leaves belonging to a neighbouring evergreen. On this branch was No-Tail, dancing back and forth to catch James's eye. "'Really?' James whispered. "'Don't you think I'm high enough already?' No-Tail responded by running along the massive branch to the evergreen and back. At least the branches were strong and sturdy. James climbed up slowly and carefully, checking each branch had new leaves growing on it before trusting his weight to it, and he stayed mindful that the two drop-lifters were somewhere nearby. The branch that the squirrel had chosen was broad and flat on top, wide enough to sleep on, except that it was nearly thirty feet from the ground, so James crawled onto it tentatively at first. It didn't sway or bend or give any other acknowledgement to his added weight at all. He edged along after No-Tail, and found that the branch sloped slightly down. He pushed past the feathery fronds of the evergreen. The scent of pine filled his nose. On the other side, the great bough split into three smaller but still substantial branches. The point at which the three branches met formed a smooth, wide platform. James thought he could sit in it quite comfortably, which he did. No-Tail was on one of the smaller branches, looking down. James leant his head over and took in the view. Despite the branch's gentle downward slope, James found he was now sitting at least forty feet above another small clearing. He was as high as the roof of a three-storey house, and though the platform he was sitting on was more than adequate, James wished he had something to hold on to. The clearing below was not like the one they started out from. It was larger and messier. It seemed it was the hollow insides of a great bramble. James could not see any path in nor out, but there must have been, because there was a shabby old sofa on one side, and littered all over the ground were opened and discarded packages. Hundreds of them. Envelopes, boxes, cardboard, plastic, and over everything was a layer of foam peanuts. It seemed clear to James that he was staring down at the hideout of the drop-lifters. A moment later he was proved right. Both the thief and the lookout 
stepped into the bramble hollow below him. The thief flopped onto the shabby sofa and put his feet up on a pile of boxes. The lookout stretched and sat down on a sawn-off stump. Both of them pulled their face masks down. They were a few years older than James, probably still at school. In fact, the lookout looked like one of the year 11s at Patcham. What we get? the lookout asked. Not much. The thief opened his courier bag and pulled out a couple of parcels. That stupid kid. We shouldn't have chased him. Should have stuck following the driver. He started opening the package taken from in front of the yellow house and tossed a brown envelope to the lookout to open. Yeah, well I didn't want him interfering, the lookout said. A little slap would have kept him quiet. He's not the one I'm worried about. The cowboy won't be pleased with this lot. What you got? The lookout ripped open the envelope he was holding and pulled out a small plastic bag. Oh, just a couple of useless metal hooks, he said, shaking his head and throwing the hooks and the envelope on the ground. And don't call him that. You know he's funny about things like that. You scared of him, the thief said with a sneer. He is a cowboy, with that hat. The thief used a stick to tear through the tape holding the package and yanked the cardboard apart. Inside was a book. He sighed and threw the cardboard and the book over his head behind the sofa. We'd better get back out before the cowboy... He stopped mid-sentence, staring at one side of the clearing. Then James saw why. A figure strode out. From above, all James could see was a wide hat and a dark coat. Before what? the new figure said. His voice was low and dangerous. Nothing, the thief said quickly, clearly uncomfortable. James guessed that the new person must be the cowboy. The hat did not look particularly like any cowboy hat that James had ever seen. It was black, with three ratty grey tassels hanging from the back. "'What have you lifted for me?' the cowboy said. "'Nothing,' the thief said again. "'We were just going out.' The cowboy didn't say anything in reply. He moved slowly around the clearing, kicking the cardboard packaging with brown leather boots. Neither boy moved. Even from high above, their fear was palpable. The lookout glanced down and moved his leg quickly. James noticed, for the first time, a creature creeping around after the cowboy. It was long and brown, like a thin cat, but not. Maybe it was a ferret or a weasel. A nearby movement, or the absence of movement, caused James to look up. No-Tail, who had been dancing back and forth on the tree branches, had stopped. She was frozen in place, like the boys below. Her eyes were locked on the clearing, avidly following the cowboy and the creature. Whether she was scared of the cowboy or the brown weasel thing, James couldn't tell. But in the years that he had known the little grey assassin, he'd never seen her afraid of anything. It made him feel even more uneasy. And what's this? the cowboy said, his voice so low and even that it almost got lost in the breeze. James looked back down. The man was standing behind the sofa with the discarded book in his hands. Neither of the drop lifters spoke. I thought you'd lifted nothing, he said. This ain't nothing. At that moment, the brown weasel thing leapt up onto the arm of the sofa, with the little plastic bag of metal hooks in its mouth. The thief shifted along the sofa, away from the creature, before realising that brought him closer to the man behind him. He was trapped between them. 
I don't like no lying, the cowboy said, and I don't like no disrespect neither. The man shook his head as he spoke, and the three grey tassels flicked from side to side. They weren't ordinary tassels. They were squirrel tails. The brown weasel thing took a step along the arm of the sofa toward the thief. At the same time, the cowboy extended a gloved hand and took a fistful of the boy's hair and twisted. The thief let out a yelp and contorted his body to ease the pull on his hair. The cowboy held him mercilessly. The creature ran along the back of the sofa and up the boy's arm, stopping with its clawed front feet on the boy's pale neck. Its head bobbed while it sniffed around under his chin. James couldn't watch and moved further back behind the wide bow. No-Tail had drawn her bow and had an arrow pointed downwards. But the squirrel was shaking with fear. And James knew that the poison that tipped the end of her arrows was as deadly to humans as it was to the creature she had it trained upon. James shook his head and mouthed the word, Don't. No-Tail's arrow tracked sideways, then the squirrel eased the tension from the bowstring and James breathed a sigh of relief. He looked back down, and the cowboy, along with the brown weasel thing, were gone. The thief was rubbing his neck with both hands, where the creature's claws had dug in. "'You all right?' the lookout asked. "'Fine,' the thief said. "'I hate that, that thing of his. It stinks. Come on, let's get out of here.' The two boys disappeared into the bramble. James waited another five minutes to be sure that they would be gone from Withdean Park. Then he made his way back along the wide branch and carefully down the great tree trunk. Getting back down from the ten-foot-high branch was easier than getting up it. He simply edged out over the thick bushes until the branch was thin enough to bend under his weight and deposit him nicely on the ground next to the main path. No-Tail joined him, riding his shoulder as she had done many times before. James then did what he should have done when he was being chased and went the other way down the path through the woods. This took him out to a patch of grass fenced off for dog walkers where there were plenty of people out and about. No-Tail sprang down and James said goodbye as she bounded away into the woods. Despite his run-in with the droplifters and the sight of the strange man they called the cowboy, not to mention the brown weasel thing, James found he was in good spirits. He had not seen No-Tail, the deadly squirrel assassin, since Christmas. And the appearance of the tailless squirrel meant only one thing. It meant an adventure was about to begin. James almost kicked himself for not looking out for an adventure already. But with all the fuss about the flu virus, he hadn't been paying proper attention. To the animals, that is. The animals of Brighton were mostly your normal town-dwelling types. And, like most animals, they existed alongside each other with reasonable affinity. But over the years, James and Jenny had found themselves involved in some less-than-friendly activities between the locals. Often it was the sewer rats that lived underneath the town, deep in the Wellsbourne caverns, that broke the harmony. Other times it was the greedy birds, the pigeons, seagulls, crows and magpies. Now he had the idea of an adventure in his mind, and also perhaps because he didn't want to bump into the two thieves just yet, James paid much closer attention to the streets as he walked. By the time he reached his front door, he had seen more than enough to convince him that something was definitely wrong in the town. Firstly, he saw a group of pigeons fighting over bin scraps with two seagulls. That was not normal, as pigeons would usually defer to the larger, sharp-beaked birds. Secondly, 
he saw three foxes running up a driveway. In broad daylight, they were getting bolder. Thirdly, he did not see any other squirrels at all. He made a point of swinging round and up through Preston Park to check for them. There would normally be plenty of squirrels out, scampering up and down the trees at the top of the park, but there were none. The house was empty when he arrived. A few minutes later, his dad came home, which meant for the next four days, James would only be allowed outside once a day for 30 minutes of exercise. There wasn't much chance of having a decent adventure in 30-minute chunks. The most adventurous thing James had managed during his exercise time so far was to pop up and see Jenny. He was already busy thinking about ways to get around the family lockdown rules. First things first, he sat down at his little desk in his bedroom to write a message to Jenny. He wanted to tell her about his run-in with the droplifters and the mysterious cowboy and his weasel thing. She would know what to do about them. She might even already have noticed the strange animal activity. If she had, she hadn't mentioned it, but then she wasn't really saying very much since her phone broke. And that was a problem. James had to get Jenny a message via her older sister Annabelle. He really didn't want anyone else to know about No-Tail and the Cowboy, least of all Annabelle. Well, if Jenny was going to isolate herself away, she may as well have something to do. For the next hour, James set about writing a message in code. He put it in an email and sent it to Annabelle. She could either print it out or read it aloud for Jenny to write down. James didn't mind how they did it. He wasn't in a hurry. After all, he had four more long days to spend inside waiting for a response.